Romans chapter 3. Uh, just a few quick announcements for the youth while you're turning there. We had a fantastic time last Sunday. Uh, the rain kept off us the whole time, which threatened the entire time, so that was exciting. Uh, a big thank you to the Campbell family for opening up their yard for us. Um, I think the youth had a good time. I know I had a good time, and that's usually a good judge of whether or not the youth is having a good time because I'm that immature, and so it works nice that if I'm having fun, they're probably having fun too. Uh, so, great, great time. Uh, there is no youth group tonight, but there is next week, all right? So, if you come tonight, uh, the doors will be locked, and it might still be raining, so don't come tonight. Um, but come next week, because we're going to start, we're going to have an absolutely fantastic time. I'm super excited about it, uh, to get this whole thing kicked back off again. Really, really excited. Um, and to go along with that, any of our Line Mountain students, please know we're going to start back up our Thursday morning Bible studies at 7 o'clock. Uh, food is always served. You know that. And Nathan knows about the chocolate milk. That'll be there, too. Uh, so come on out for right before church. Or church, my goodness. Right before school starts. So 7 o'clock, I'll get you out by 7.30. Make sure you're at the school on time. So parents, listen. Kids get to school on time, and they get breakfast, plus they get a little bit of gospel. Send them, okay? <laughs> It'll be a good time, all right? Um, and so that's going to start the Thursday after youth group starts. So again, not this week, <laughs> but the next week coming up. I believe that's the 16th. And lastly, on the 18th, we're going mini-golfing. So Trent, you've got a trophy to defend, I believe. I believe it was you last year who shot, a, a, what, a 16 on an 18-hole golf, golf course? <laughs> Something like that, right? So uh, if you want to meet here on Saturday at 5, we're going we're gonna, to you know, round everybody up and put everybody in the vans and drive on up. Uh, we're going to the Susquehanna uh, Sports Center. That's the one, if you know the Beavers from church, that's the one that they own and operate. Fantastic family. Um, and they're, they're helping us out. It's $4 a, $4 a person, and that is a deal. So uh, they'll also be serving us snacks, and then when we're done, we're coming back here for some ice cream and a few other things. So and I just saw Nathan get really excited again. It's like I know you, you know? <laughs> so as we said, our scripture reading today is going to be Romans chapter 3, the first 20 verses. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court. But some might say our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair, then, for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how could he be qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness, and brings him more glory. 
And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from the open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follows them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those who, to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Let's pray together. Lord, we again come to you with thanksgiving in our heart. We thank you for this day you've given us and this opportunity to fellowship with our brothers and sisters. Lord, we thank you for this time to be able to open your word and hear your truth spoken to us. Lord, I ask that you would prepare each and every one of our hearts and minds. Help us to accept your word today, Lord, to apply it to our lives, to let it affect every part of our life. Lord, be with those who are not here today. Lord, bless them if they are sick and ill. Bless them if they are on vacation, Lord. Uh, just bring blessing to each and every one of your children today, Lord. Lord, we will be careful to honor and praise you for everything you have done for us. In your son's name, amen. In two weeks from today, there will be a congregation meeting and some interesting announcements will be at that particular meeting. You'll, you'll want to be there. That'll keep you busy for two weeks trying to figure things out, and No, there's, there won't be any announcements that are going to be earth-shattering, but we trust will be ministry-guiding. So please, that's on the 19th of this month at 7 o'clock in the evening. Well, this morning we, we find ourselves in chapter 3 of our journey through the book of Romans. We are progressing as quickly as molasses in January, but we trust that this morning uh, we won't be going too fast either. That's In all intents and purposes, chapter 3 is a continuation of Paul's discussion from chapter 2. In fact, after chapter 2 finishes, he's addressing, if you will, the circumcision, which is in reference to the Jewish nation. And in that, he is saying to the Jews in verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, 
nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. There are four interesting questions in chapter 3 from verse 1 all the way down through to verse 9. What we are allowed to see in this particular passage is a discussion going on with Paul and an individual that is not named. The individual has questions. And the questions are all relative, basically, to the Jewish nation, which Paul literally highlights even more when we get to chapter 9 through 11. That'll be 2023. When we get to chapter 9 through 11, where the Apostle Paul then takes up the whole council, if you will, of the Jewish nation. And he begins that in chapter 9, where he says, I wish that myself... I could give my life so that all the Jewish nation would come to know Jesus. And so he's highlighting that particular situation. But here, there are four questions that are asked. What's interesting about the questions is that the world today is asking these same questions. They're relative, not just only to the Jewish nation, but we can see a smidgen, if you will, of how they relate to even the church today. Now, with that being said, please understand, I am not equating the church with the Jewish nation. They are different. They are separate in the, in the, in the word of God. The church is not the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation is not the church, though the Jewish nation can become part of the church if they desire to become part of the church. Now, with all of that being said, they're not the same. There has been a time and there is a time right now where God has, for some reason only of his glory, has given the gospel the good news because of the Jews, they rejected him. Now they've come to the Gentiles and we ought to be thankful for that. We ought to thank God that the Jewish nation did not recognize their Messiah. They still do not. But yet at the same time, now the gospel is available to us who are Gentiles. We'll get into that a little bit later in our discussion. I wish to give to you uh, something, some information that will help in putting together chapters 1, 2, and 3. Turn your study guide over and we're going to look at four calls Four calls, not extensively, but I just want to give them to you. We do know that the chapter one from our previous studies highlights the fact that the unrighteousness of man, because they have forsaken, if you will, not only the word of God, but they have literally forsaken the very image of God, creating in themselves or for themselves idols that they now call God. There are four calls that are evident in every individual's life. The first call is this. It's the call of nature. In Romans chapter 1, it says all of creation literally screams the very existence and presence and wonder of who God is. So there is that call. We, we, we call that, if you will, 
an unspecified or natural revelation of Jesus Christ. That's through nature. The second call is the call of conscience. Whether, as we'll get into chapter 3, the Apostle Paul highlights this when he says, there are those who have the law and they sin, and those who don't have the law, they sin. How fair is that? That's one of the questions. Anyway, it's a call of conscience, because whether you have the word of God or not, you have a conscience to do that which is right. It's the call of the conscience. The third call is this, the call of the gospel. The gospel. As the Apostle Paul writes for us, as we get to Romans chapter 10, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is the gospel. It's the call of the gospel. The gospel calls us to a place of where we have a choice to make of whether to or not to accept the gospel and the gift of Jesus Christ. And the last one is the call of God. The call of God. And God literally using two aspects. He uses his very specific revelation, which is his word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, working into the hearts of individuals to call them to himself. Now, whether they heed that call or not, that is their choice. But in any aspect, those are the four calls. And we see them played out, if you will, or at least mentioned in this discreetly, but they're there in chapters 1, 2, and now in chapter 3. The first question, is there any profit in being a Jew? That's what the individual wants to know because the Apostle Paul has just highlighted the fact that the Jew literally is not just outward, if you will, in fashion or in what they declare. It literally means that that individual is inwardly changed by God. And so the individual said, well, then what's the use? That's the question that's being asked today, isn't it? What's the use? What good is the gospel? What's the use? So the Apostle Paul says it's, there's a lot. First of all, he says that the prophet of the Jews is this, is that they were given the oracles of God. Now we as Gentiles ought to be thankful that the Jews received the very word of God. Because it's from them that we are able to hold on to it and read it every day. Their rejection of it didn't stop the production of it, but in many ways, we should be thankful for them that the word of God came to them. Obviously, the Apostle Paul is referencing back to Mount Sinai, where as they came out of the great exodus, as Moses led them, they, he took them to the very mountain of God. And it was there that Moses was called up to the top of the mountain and he received what we know as the Ten Commandments. In that reception, though, came rejection. You might remember as Moses is up there having his discussion with God that 
God says there's trouble down at the bottom. They're worshiping an idol. And so Moses came down with the first hand written by God and cast them. You might remember that scene from Cecil B. DeMille's version of that. But literally, he, Moses cast down and crushed the writing of God in a picture, if you will, of rejection. Then Moses had to go back up. And then it was up to him then that he had to carve out the word of God. First, God made it. Secondly, Moses had to carve it out. They were given those. But rest assured, that's not all that God gave them. I want you to turn with me very quickly. Go back with me to uh, the book of, uh, good Lord, whatever, Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. The nation of Israel was given the oracles of God for a purpose. Not to hoard it but to spread it. And so in chapter 44, beginning at verse 8, or 6, I'm sorry, verse 6 through verse 8, we see God's command for them. It says these words, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God, and who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient peoples and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. I have not told you from the time and declared it. Have I not told you, excuse me, from the time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there gods besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Israel was to receive the oracles of God and then engage them in their lives in such a way that other nations were to come to know and understand who God is. They did not fulfill that. But there's going to be a time when they will. When you go to the book of the Revelation, God is going to set aside 144,000 Jewish people 12,000 from each nation, and it will be their job to evangelize the world. And I really love what it says in the scriptures. It says, and the one world ruler won't be able to stop them. They're going to be a thorn in his flesh. Can someone give me an amen? I'd like to be a part of that deal, let me tell you. But the church is gone by that time, and the Jewish nation now will fulfill what God has instituted them to do by taking the word of God to the world. They will be engaged 
and fulfilling what Isaiah says they are to be. You are my witnesses. Now that should sound very familiar to you. Especially when you go to Matthew chapter 28. Where Jesus, after his resurrection, after appearing to individuals, calls his disciples to a mountain, a hill. And he gives them what is called the commission, the great commission. You shall be my witnesses. See how the Romans chapter 3 interacts both Jews and church. The question arises, are we hoarding the word of God? I, I literally have, I, I counted them this week, I have 10 different copies in my office of the Bible. Whether it's NIV, nearly inspired version. Whether it's NASBA, New American Standard. Whether it's ESV, English Standard Version. Whether it's New King James, whether it's Old King James. Red letter, non-red letter. I've got a plethora of copies. But sometimes those copies do nothing more than collect dust. As a church, we are called to be witnesses. I guess what comes to my mind is how good are we doing? Are we witnessing? Are we taking the oracles of God and sharing them? with an individual. I, I have an appointment this coming week with an individual who's going to come and change the windshield of my Ford Flex. Those of you that I've told the story to, I parked at a place that my wife said I shouldn't. <laughs> Many times the Holy Spirit speaks through your wife and you should listen. But I parked it at the end of a goalpost. I don't think it's funny, Kat, but anyway. <laughs> and during the season of practice prior to the game, the field goal kicker became successful in not only putting the ball in the midst of the goal, but hitting my windshield. Do you know how difficult it is to drive back at night when, when other oncoming lights are shining at you and your windshield is spiderwebbed. <laughs> but I've asked the Lord for me to do something. I can't wait for that individual to come and change that windshield. He's going to come here to church. Can you believe that? He's coming to me. <laughs> but what he doesn't realize is he's going to hear about Jesus. I've got the perfect line, the opening line, the hook 
we call it in evangelism. It says, do you know how difficult it is to see through a windshield that is all spiderwebbed? How difficult is it to see the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ in a world that is splintered? Oh, I practiced that. I got that hook. <laughs> I got that hook. Are we witnesses taking opportunities, whether it's at a restaurant thanking the waitress or waiter, whether it's at the grocery store thanking the individual that cashes you out? It's being a witness. The Jews are saying, what's the use? If we are God's chosen people, what use is it? The Apostle Paul says in many ways. The second question comes to us in verses 5 through 8 of Romans chapter 3. And it goes something like, if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? How fair is it that the all-knowing God who we believe that he is knows that even before I do the act, he knows it's going to be sinful? How fair is it that then he would judge me instead of stopping me? That's the question. That's the question. It gets asked a little bit different in later passages of this particular chapter, which we'll get to next week. But it literally goes even beyond that. Where in chapter 6, the Apostle Paul comes back to this issue because the issue is this. Why don't we sin more that God's grace could even be shining more? Wouldn't that be great? And Paul cuts that short by saying, God forbid. That virtually is the same thing here. Uh, they're saying that if my unrighteousness is already known by God, then what right does he have to judge me? That's where the world comes from, don't they? But it's interesting, if you have a Bible like I have, usually it's either italicized or, or darker font. The Apostle Paul highlights a phrase from David, King David. The phrase is located in Psalm 51 in verse 4. From a plethora of sermons I'm sure you have heard concerning the life of David, you recognize that Psalm 51 is David's psalm of repentance for what he did with Bathsheba, and her husband Uriah. And in verse 4, 
David literally says that God, you are just in all of your judgments. I have totally fallen short. The account of that is written for us in 2 Samuel chapter 11 through chapter 12. We don't need to turn there, but I do want to highlight a couple of things from that particular passage. You go back later and read it for yourself. It begins by saying there was a spring of the year where kings are supposed to be out at war. Uh, I don't know why it starts that way. I I guess that's the way they did things. Oh, it's springtime. Let's go to war. Uh, I, I don't know, but... I think it sets the stage that David was where he was not supposed to be. Now we can stop there and preach on that for about an hour. Because how often do we find ourselves in a place where we ought not to be? I'm guilty just like you. We know that I shouldn't be there. I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to anyway. We should not be at places where we're not supposed to be. And you know, as the story progresses, David, in the heat of the day, they didn't have air conditioning at that time. They didn't literally have fans other than servants that would stand over them and fan them. He went up on top of the roof of his palace The text doesn't indicate it, but I don't believe this is the first time David went up on top of his palace to look at an individual who was bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. I can conjecture in the reading of that passage, recognize that David knew exactly when she was going to be there. I can conjecture, too, that it wasn't the first time that David saw her being there. And so David, being at a place he wasn't supposed to be, took advantage of looking at something he's not supposed to look at. And as the account goes, David summons his guards to... Go get her and bring her to me. And from that instance, she became with child. And David was in a mess. Bathsheba sent word to David that she was expecting. And so David contrived in his heart how to cover it up. Oh, do not hold yourself in too high esteem because we do the same thing. We, we have to cover up our sin, don't we? We, we can't let people know. And we, we try to contrive. We, we try to move situations. We, we, we try to hide something that we've done. Most recently, we even try to blame other people. Well, if she wouldn't have been on the hill, t- on that top of that house, oh, David, you're the man. Oh, that's the words of Nathan. 
God sends the prophet Nathan to the king. And Nathan gives him the story of a family who has a sheep, a little lamb that that family just loves. And they, and then it's, someone took it from them. David said, the man who took it shall be killed. And Nathan's start words, you're the man. Uh, this was after David had Uriah killed. He covered it up in hopes that no one would find out. But God did. Nathan found himself in a very interesting situation. He could have been killed. If the king would not take his words kindly, he could have been killed. But what did David do? Now turn to Psalm 51, and you'll find out what he did. Oh, the turning of the pages excite my soul. And it blesses the very heart of God. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, and I acknowledge my transgressions, for my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight. Now this is what Paul quotes in Romans 3, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Psalm 51 is David's psalm of repentance. I'm becoming more and more aware of the fact that we don't fully understand the act of repentance. We come into a situation and we know we shouldn't be in the place where we are. We know we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. And we sort of reason to ourselves, well, that's okay. I'll just ask God to forgive me and it'll be done. That's not what David did. That's not what, what repentance is. True repentance is first of all recognizing that our sin is against God and God only. And we agree with God what he has to say about it. David said, my transgressions were before you. My sin is always before me. David just doesn't say, I'm sorry. He pleads for God's mercy. He repents. Later on in that psalm, he says, And cast me not away from thy presence. 
Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me. Then I shall teach transgressors their ways and sinners will be converted unto you. In order to be effective for God, we have to come clean with God. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans chapter 3 and verses 5 through 8. Yes, God is righteous in judging unrighteousness. You cannot blame him for your sin. He has given to you conscience as well as the written word of God. No one is exempt. Questions three and four will be next week. Lest we look at Romans chapter three and try to decipher them that they don't, if you will, apply to us. When we get to the end of chapter three, the apostle Paul says, there is none righteous. No, not one. Question four deals with six different body parts. Won't that be exciting? And how they relate into the realm of expressing of sin. That's question number four. We trust question three and four will be, I trust, a little bit more exciting than one and two. Can we stand as we are dismissed with prayer and a benediction? Our God, our lives are an open book to you. There is nowhere we can go, there is nothing that we can say there is no thought that we can think that you don't already know. The question that lies upon our hearts this day is, so what? Oh God, I pray that beginning with me, that we would become more sensitive to your spirit leading. That we shouldn't park behind goalposts. But out of it, even out of that, I'll have an appointment with someone who's going to repair my view. Yes, tragedy can open up doors to revelation. But we're talking about other places, God. 
places that we should not be. Computer sites that should not be viewed by our eyes. Books that we should not be reading. Places that we go to for a good time should not be on our agenda. We need to be, do, and say what we are supposed to be. We are to be witnesses of God. So with that in mind, oh Lord, I pray that this week and I ask your blessing upon these people that we would determine like David that we would ask have mercy on me, O God according to thy loving kindness. Cleanse me. Use me for your glory. May that be our cry throughout this week for the glory of you. And I praise you in your name, O Lord God. And God's people would say, Amen. Amen.